together. For everyone else who's going to be with me today, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. Thanks, worship team. Hey, we got Amber up here on keys for the first time, joining us from our youth group, which is awesome. Thanks, Amber. 2 Timothy 3, and uh, in another little bit just of church family news, we had a wedding here yesterday. Ben and Eva got married uh, here at the church. You might remember Ben and Eva uh, got baptized together right before Christmas, uh, which was very sweet. And so we had their wedding here yesterday and just had a beautiful time celebrating them and uh, getting them good and married. And so they are uh, off uh, to spend some time on their honeymoon, which is awesome. So congratulations to Ben and Eva if you're watching. And as we continue through... uh, Uh, our series that we started last week, we have named this year a year of pursuing peace and just recognizing that there is something in our souls that desires to be at rest. There is something in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies that desires to be at rest. And so we've decided to call this year a year of pursuing peace just as a kind of big overarching theme for the year that we want to take time to say, well, if peace is available, I would like some of that, please. And if peace is available in the Lord, I would like to know how I can access that and grab a hold of that and remain resting in that. And so five big questions we are asking ourselves this year. What is our attitude going to be as we travel forward? Are we going to be grumblers, complainers, uh, angry, bitter, cynical? Or are we going to be people of faith? Are we going to be people of hope? Are we going to be people of love? How are we treating other people in this time? How are we meeting needs when they arise? How are we treating people? who we might find ourselves in disagreement with as we seek to fulfill the greatest commandment to love God and to love others. How are we drawing near to the Lord in this time? If the Lord is the source of all peace, then it stands to reason that drawing near to him is gonna help us in our pursuit of peace. So what does that look like as we intentionally make him a priority in our lives? What are we contributing to the world? With our words, with our actions, what are we sowing? What are we throwing out there? When people look at us as Christ followers, what are they seeing? How are we letting our light shine? And then who are we imitating? Obviously, we are imitating Jesus ultimately. But the Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Who in our lives are we looking at and saying, I see Jesus at work there and I want to be more like that? And how can we follow Christ in them, in their example. So we started a series uh, that's going to be our first sermon series of the year last week that we called Connection Points. And we're starting with that question of how are we drawing near to the Lord right now? If the Lord is ultimately the source of all peace, we talked about when Gideon built an altar and he gave it the name Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. If the Lord is peace and we want to pursue peace, then we obviously need him. Ultimately, the peace is going to come from him. So how are we connecting and communing with the Lord in our lives? How are we getting in touch and and walking with him who is the source of all of our peace? So I want to show you a picture here. Uh, These are my grandparents on my dad's side. That's my nana and my granddad. Uh, They both passed away in the 90s. They've been gone for quite a while. But my nana was from England. My grandfather was from the Hamilton area. And in World War II, uh, he enlisted and went over to fight and met my grandmother while he was in England. And uh, while he was on the front, uh, they obviously didn't get to see each other much, but had a courtship that happened primarily through letters and some visits, uh, fell in love, got married while he was over there. And then he got sent back to Canada, or yeah, back to Canada as the war came to an end. Uh, And it actually took two years to get her uh, to come over and they'd gotten pregnant while he was over there. Uh, And so for, for him 
and uh, her and their daughter, their firstborn, uh, it took two years to, to get the immigration worked out just because there was lots of soldiers coming back and there were lots of war brides and there were lots of kids involved. And so it took some time to get it all worked out. And so while he is serving in the war and while she is back home in England and while uh, he eventually then comes to Canada and she is in England and he's trying to get her over, their communication was almost entirely through letters because there was just no other way to do it, right? There was not widespread uh, phone use and, and those things happening, so letters was how they stayed connected. And while they were courting, uh, letters was really how they were getting to know each other. And then once they started to fall in love and they got married, letters was how they stayed connected. And then when he came back to Canada, letters was how they kept the marriage united. And so uh, if they didn't have that, it would have been very, very hard for there to be that, that connection. And so through the letters, they learned about each other. Through the letters, they got to know each other's desires in life. They got to know each other's character. They got to see each other's heart. They got to see each other's personality. And through the letters, uh, there was this, this connection that was happening where they were ultimately falling in love with each other. And then as they fell in love and got engaged and got married, the letters kept them connected and, and helped them get to know each other. And it was just ends up a bit of an unusual situation, but that by the time she came over uh, from England, which was a couple years years after the war had ended, uh, they had actually not spent that much time together, even though between courting and engagement and marriage, they'd been together for years. And so much of it was happening through the letters, through the words that they share, because the words that we share are, are important. The words that we say, Scripture says, come from the overflow of our heart. The words say, here's what's going on inside of us through our words. We let people know what we're thinking, what we're feeling. We let people know what's important to us. We let people know our personality. This all happens through our words. And so as we talk about our connection piece with the Lord, how are we connecting and communing with the Lord? Uh, we're going to talk about his word today because we are not face-to-face with him, like my grandparents. And like my grandparents, the words become so important, the words that God has communicated to us. Because through God's word, we see his heart. We see his uh, desires. We see his will. We see his holiness. We see his commandments. We see all of these things through his word. One day, we will be face-to-face with him. When we're face-to-face with him, no one's going to be running to 2 Timothy chapter 3 to see what it says in there. That won't be needed in the same way we'll be face to face. But in the meantime, while we are separated, like my grandparents were separated, the written words become crucial to getting to know him. The written words become crucial to understanding who he is, what he requires, what is important to him. And so in our walk with Jesus, we know this already, the written word, the scripture is going to be crucial. We can't know him apart from his word. We can't understand him apart from his word. We can't know his will or his ways apart from his word. And so scripture is going to play an important role in our walk with him and how we know him and how we understand him. And so as we're talking about connection points in this sermon series, I said last week, I don't really want us, when we talk about uh, you know, our, our prayer time or our devo time or our Bible time or our, our connection time, whatever you want to call this time that we are setting apart for the Lord, I don't want it to be a duty or an obligation. Ultimately, I don't want you to do it because your pastors asked you to do it or because you know it's important because a lot of times it becomes that. And when it becomes just a chore, it's really hard to sustain that. It's really, eventually, our desire to do the chore starts to, we lose our strength, we lose our our desire for it. What I really want and what I have been praying for is that we would fall in love with God's word. 
where like getting into the scripture would be an exciting part of our day. It would not be a duty or an obligation or a religious thing that we're supposed to do. It would be something that we do because we actually enjoy it, because it's actually life-giving. It's actually refreshing for our souls. It's actually something that is, that is a connection point for us with the Lord. I mean, I remember my Nana telling me about the letters going back and forth and just talking about like the joy when a letter came. Right? I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Right? And, and for us to look at the scripture that way, to sit down with the scripture, not because I'm, I'm just checking something off my list, but to say, oh, I have an opportunity to hear from God today. I have an opportunity to connect with him today through his word. And let that be our motivator as we engage with scripture together. As always, just a reminder, as we go through the message today, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And if you have any questions about the message, just fire them over. We'd be happy to take some time to answer them. Let's take a look at our text today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 10. So Paul is writing to Timothy, his disciple. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's a number of scripture passages that talk about scripture itself. There's a number of parts in the word that talk about the word. Uh, This would be one of the more famous ones. And and there were a a bunch that we could have engaged with today. But I chose that one. We're not going to walk through every piece of it, but we're going to highlight a few verses as we go. As we talked about connection points, where are we uh, seeking the Lord in our lives? Right? The Bible says, seek him. The Bible says, call upon him. Uh, so where are we doing that? Where are we carving out that time? And last week, I threw out the idea of what we just said, the 48-minute challenge. Uh, how much time should you spend with the Lord? That's an arbitrary question and, and might be different for different people. But we threw this out as something to shoot for. And it was based on, if we think of our day as kind of broken up into thirds, that eight hours a day, roughly, we're sleeping. Eight hours a day, roughly, we're at our day jobs. It's with that remaining eight hours a day where we have some freedom of what we do with that time. What are we doing with that? And, and of that eight hours, 48 minutes uh, would be a tithe. It would be 10% of that time. And thought, well, if we trust the Lord with 10% of our income, perhaps it's not crazy to think that we should trust him with 10 Again, there's no scripture that says it has to be that. There's no number. It's, it's just something we are shooting for. And where is the Lord fitting into that free time in your life? And that time can be spent doing lots of different things, including scripture. And we're going to talk over the next number of weeks about what we might fill that time for, uh, fill that time with. And so we have that 48-minute challenge. As today, we talk about where does scripture fit in to that that daily connection point. Because again, if it's just a duty, then, then it's really hard to sustain it as a, as a habit, as a practice. But if we are shifting our thinking about it, that this is not duty, but this is a time to have a life-giving experience 
with the Lord and with his word. Because when scripture is talking about itself in scripture, it is like, this is the word of life. It's the word of life. It is life-giving. And, and hopefully you know from some experience, it is refreshing for your soul. It is not just good information. It is not just good truth, but it actually can be refreshing and renewing for your soul. It's the word of life. Scripture says it's the word of light, that it illuminates, that it helps us know which way to go. It shows us what path we should be taking. It's the word of light. Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy, would liken, to it, liken it to it's like food. That man does not live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That it's like daily bread, and you can't uh, eat a big meal on Sunday and coast on it for the rest of the week. That it is meant to to, to be digested, it is meant to be absorbed, it is meant to be sustaining. And so the word is likened to food in Scripture. It's likened to truth, the word of truth. And in a world full of lies and and in a world where the possibility of deception is everywhere, that there is just a clarity that comes as we dig into the word. What is truth, Lord? What is your truth? We need to be grounded in truth if we're going to be able to navigate what is true and what is not. And so there's lots of good reasons to dig into Scripture. There's lots of good reasons to to make this something that is important to us. And again, the heartbeat being, let us fall in love with God's word so that it is a a life-giving time of encounter with the Lord. I'm at a point in my life where when I sit with my Bible, it is one of the most exciting parts of my day. It is so good to sit with his word. And I don't, haven't always felt that in every season of life. And if I'm being honest, I don't always feel that every single day. But as a a general rule, I am so loving my time in the Bible. And I'm not coming in with any agenda. I'm not trying to get through a study. I'm not trying to prove one thing or disprove another thing in my daily time. I am sitting there and just going, all right, Lord, what do you have to speak to me today? What is there for me to learn and to understand today? So there's lots of reasons for us to engage in this. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he notes that, you know, you've, taught, you've been taught certain things, you've learned things from people, so you should be following the things that you have taught, been taught. Verse 15, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So like from infancy, Timothy apparently has had good teachers, And elsewhere, it says that his mom and his grandmother were believers. And so obviously, uh, from the youngest of ages, Timothy was being pointed to the word of God. And so parents, we do well when we do the same. When from the youngest of ages, we are pointing our kids towards the scripture. So Timothy has this strong foundation in his life. His his mom and his grandma have taught him well. Uh, From infancy, you've known these scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In the scriptures is the gospel. It is the good news. It is the way to heaven. And and yet important to note as well, the scriptures are here to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are here to lead us to him. The scriptures themselves are not actually the end. They are the means. The scripture is the, the, the vessel that God uses to bring us to and worship and follow Jesus. And scripture is there in order to help us to do that. It leads us to salvation in him. And it's very easy, and especially if we've been at this for a while, to start to look at scripture almost like a textbook. 
right? It's a book full of information that I need to know. And if I know the information, then I'll be good and mature. And we'll come back to this a little later in the message. We, we can see it, and Scripture warns against it, that just because you have lots of knowledge does not necessarily make you godly. Just because you have lots of knowledge does not necessarily mean you have found the way of Jesus. And so it's not about knowledge alone. It's not about mastering a text. This isn't a textbook to be mastered. This is a divine revelation that is meant to be absorbed. And yes, studied. And yes, given a high priority. But it is there. The word is there. Not to lead you to a book, but to lead you to Jesus. That you would know him. And, and, and be followers of him. And the scripture is there as the tool to help you do that. The leadership and I are reading a book uh, called Until Unity by Francis Chan right now. And he uses the picture that, you know, if we're not careful, we can be as Christians like people who know a lot of information about a dessert, but don't actually taste it and experience it. That if I were to talk about, you know, hey, I whipped this together for date night uh, the other night. I didn't at all. But if, if we were to say that was something that I had done and I were to say like, oh, guys, you want to know how much flour was in this thing? I can tell you all about the flour, how much sugar got thrown in there. You want to know how long I baked it? I could totally tell you. Like, I have all this information about it. And if I was highlighting for you all the information about it, at one point you'd be sitting there going like, what did it taste like? That's all I I really want to know. And so we have to be careful that we are in our seeking of godly knowledge and biblical knowledge, in our seeking of truth, that we're remembering it's not ultimately about knowing a lot of things. It's ultimately about knowing Jesus. It's ultimately about knowing him. And the scripture is there to lead us to him. There's a verse that Jesus uh, uses when he rebukes the um, Pharisees who are giving him a hard time in John chapter 5. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so, like, the Pharisees loved the word. They loved the word. I imagine if Pharisees existed today, they would know the word probably better than most of us. Like, they knew it back to front. They were experts in it. They had memorized huge portions of it. They spent their lives poring over it and, and digging into it and, and debating it and trying to figure out what does this mean for us and how we live our lives. And Jesus says, those scriptures are there ultimately to bring you to me. And yet you refuse to come to me. Like I ultimately am the source of life. I have the life that you are looking for. The scriptures are there and crucial at introducing you to me. That's why they're here. The scriptures are here to bring you to the person of Jesus Christ, not just to be about the text. If my grandmother, you know, once she moved to Canada, still spent all her time just reading letters and ignoring the husband that was in the next room, then she would have been missing the point, right? The letters were there to help you get to know the man. And now that the man is there, like that's your connection point. The scriptures are there to bring us to Jesus, to help us to know him to help us to understand him. We can't know him apart from his word, but they are there to introduce us to him. Moving on in the text, verse 16, famous verse, all scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love the phrase God breathed so much. I love the, the poetry of it. And, and literally just means God, it's God's spirited. It is of his spirit. The word for breath in the Old Testament is ruach. In the New Testament is pneuma. And anytime you see the spirit of God, that's what it literally means. The breath of God. That, that divine breath. God has breathed through apostles and prophets. God has breathed through people and and inspired them to write the text that is now our scripture. All scripture is God breathed. His life is in it. His power is in it. His authority is in it. There is something of his nature in it and revealed in it. God breathed and is there to teach and rebuke and correct and train in righteousness. And this is part of where scripture is such an important tool for us. It is the God-breathed way that we know what to teach and, and where we need to maybe rebuke and correct and how do we train and what is righteous. And so my wife is a paralegal and uh, started a new job a few weeks ago. Thanks for all of you who are praying into that. It really is a miraculous story of how God brought about this job. And I'm not going to tell you that at all today. We'll just tease you with it and say, we'll tell you that story another time. But uh, Sarah, I was working with a law firm up in Windsor in the area of WSIB law. And in that area of, of industry for lawyers, for paralegals, uh, when they're trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong, and, and do we have a case here or do we not have a case here, what they do is they go to the law, of course, right? The law is there. The Ontario law, the Canadian law, it is there to determine what is legal and what is not legal, right? What is right and what is wrong. And so if they're working on a case and they're not quite sure, they go back and they check it always. What does the law say? And, and whatever the law says, that is going to be what is established for us as what is right and what is wrong, right? There is a standard by which everything gets measured by. And, and now not unlike with scripture, also when it comes to our, our secular law, there are debates over what it means and what it doesn't mean. And this lawyer interprets it this way and that lawyer interprets it that way. So there's often debates about how we are approaching the law. But the important point I'm trying to make is there is a standard, there is a, a something that is measuring all of these different cases, all of these different people, all of these different situations that's being measured against something. And that's what the scripture does for us. In church history, a term emerged. It's not found in the Bible in the same way, but it's often called the canon of scripture. Uh, not meaning the big guns, that has two ends in it, but the canon with one end in it. And it comes from the Greek, Greek word canon. And the Greek word canon uh, means ruler. And not ruler like a human who rules over other people, but a ruler like what's on the screen there. A measuring stick. Something that, that makes sure things are straight. Something that says this is the right distance. Like something that you measure things against. If you're an architect or if you're a builder of homes, it would be really hard to do if you didn't have a way to make sure things were straight. That the foundation is level. And so that's the picture that scripture uses uh, of itself, of the source of all truth. And, and the thing that we are constantly checking our, our theology against and our decisions against. The church history uh, has had the tradition of calling it that word, the canon of scripture which is fun because it just sounds like a powerful word. And maybe because it reminds us of the big guns. But the canon of scripture, the measuring stick, that there is something that we have to go by. 
And so we believe in the God-breathed truth of Scripture. It's our measuring stick. And so when we're trying to make a decision, we look to what the Scripture says. When we're trying to wrestle through our theology, we look to what the Scripture says. And we are aware that there are cultural winds that might blow us here or there, that there are parts of sin and parts of flesh that would like to not pay attention to what the truth says. But we say, no, as people of God, as followers of Jesus, we are constantly measuring against the measuring stick. That scripture is helping us determine uh, by what it says what is right and what is wrong. And so we're measuring everything there. And I say this to you guys regularly. I probably don't say it enough. Um, But even when you hear me preaching scripture, when you see me sharing, this is what I believe the word of God says. Like, don't take my word for it just, just by chance. Uh, I hope you trust me, but by all means, look to the scripture yourself and dig in. And if you have a question or if you have a disagreement, then by all means, let's chat about it. Um, In the old days, if we were sitting in church, you know, six, seven hundred years ago, uh, first of all, most of you wouldn't be able to understand what I'm saying because I'd be speaking in Latin because the scriptures were written in Latin. Um, but even separate from that, it wouldn't have mattered that much because most of you wouldn't be able to read. And so it was just a full-on trust relationship uh, between the, the priest at the time and the congregation that you believed that I was, you know, what I was saying was what it actually said uh, and that what I was saying was what it actually meant. And it turns out that a lot of what was happening there wasn't so much what God's word said. And there was a lot of humanness that was creeping into the church at that time. And so we have this totally different thing happening now. Uh, where you can go to the word yourself. And I encourage you to do that. And, and nobody, uh, I, I have no you know, qualms that absolutely everything I believe is absolutely right. We are all in this kind of growing journey of learning and seeking the Lord. And we do that together. And, and we want Meadowbrook to be a place where we can do that together. We can wrestle with the word together. And so you might remember at various times in our church, uh, we have done that. We've chosen a topic and we've all gone down to the center and we've sat around tables and we've opened our Bibles and we've said, all right, well, how do we feel about uh, you know, women as elders and teachers? How How do we feel now that marijuana is about to be legalized? How do we feel about euthanasia? And we've opened the word together and we've discussed together and we've had different opinions sometimes and and debated and discussed, but but I want church to be that. I don't want it to be a place where I just come in and say, this is the truth and you believe what I believe because I'm the pastor. We want to sit together and open the word together. Uh, One of the things I love about Anabaptists, about Mennonites, is they've always valued the communal discernment of the body, not just one one or two people uh, in the leadership structure. But together, we wrestle with the word together. We open the word together. And we measure everything against the scripture. There's a story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas and their party are going around preaching the gospel. And they go to Thessalonica, and he goes into the synagogue. So this was Paul's primary Uh, evangelism technique was he went to the Jewish people first. And so he would go into a town. He would go into the synagogue. Uh, They are the believers of Holy Scripture. So he would open Holy Scripture and he would start there and he would say, hey, here's what the Bible says about the Messiah. Here's what we have been waiting and hoping for. And I believe that Jesus Christ is this Messiah. And so Paul goes to Thessalonica and he goes in and he opens up the scriptures and he says he argues and reasons with them for three days, showing them from the scriptures that the Messiah needed to die and suffer and be raised from the dead. And there is a, I would say, not great reaction from the crowd in that time. They don't like what he's saying about Jesus. They don't like what he's saying about scripture. So there's an uprising and there's just a very, very strong response. And so they run on their way and they head over to the next town, which is Beria. And in Acts 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And there's something so beautiful about that last verse, that they went to the word every day. Wow, this sounds like truth, but we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to check it against that canon, that measuring stick. We're going to see if that was true. And so a lot is made of the Berians, and that word Berian um, has become, you know, ministries will say we're a Berian ministry. Some will even call themselves literally Berian and use it in their title. And what they usually are meaning to communicate is that we take the Bible very, very seriously. We check everything against the word. It's all about the word. This is a good thing. This is noble character, is to go to the word and check and see if what we are hearing is true. But there's a another piece to it. It's not just that they examine the scriptures, because it says also they receive the message with eagerness. In other words, uh, they were open to what Paul had to say. They didn't swallow it whole right away. They were not all in. But in Thessalonica, as Paul comes with this message, they just went, no, and they reacted. Like, no, that's not what the word says. That's not what we understand scripture to say. Uh, So there was not openness to discussion, and they reacted with violence. Like, they were so against this view that was not in line with their view. The Berians were open that, wow, there could be something to this. And again, they didn't believe it just because Paul said it. They didn't believe it just because he came in with a new message. They said, there is something to this that is worth exploring, and so we are going to now go to the Scriptures and see. So I would argue that to be a Berian is not just to take the Bible seriously. To be a Berian is also to be humble enough to say, you know what? I don't have everything all worked out. And so I am going to be, if this is something that is an idea that is being presented, the word will tell me whether I need to to take it seriously or not. But not just to shut it down. The, The Pharisees were so committed to their view of scripture that they missed Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. He was right there. The one that they knew from the word they were waiting for and they couldn't see him. They, they missed him entirely, and it was because he didn't fit in to the way they thought the Messiah was going to look. And so they came and went like, well, a Messiah could never treat the Sabbath the way this guy's treating the Sabbath. Therefore, he's not the Messiah. And they missed him entirely. And so the warning there for all of us is let's, not, let's make sure that our commitment to our interpretation of Scripture is not so rigid that we might not miss something that Jesus is trying to teach us or or something that that we want to explore. And so, again, always by the Scripture. And if it's not lining up with how we understand Scripture, then we don't pursue it. We don't agree with it. We lay it aside. But to have that ability, that humility that says, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. And, and my theology has evolved over the years. I grew up Pentecostal, and there were Pentecostal things I had always been taught. I went to Pentecostal Bible College, and they, they really hammered them home there. And then I was a Pentecostal pastor for a number of years. There are certain elements of Pentecostal theology that I don't agree with anymore. And, and as I went to the Word, and I examined, and I, I tested, and I heard what other teachers had to say, and as I prayed through it, uh, I went, you know what? I actually don't believe in this anymore. I don't believe, I don't hold that same conviction on that particular point. Nothing major, but just some of these disputable matters where denominations land in different places. And so we have to be humble enough to say, I don't have scripture mastered. 
And, and we're not opening our Bibles to talk about, hey, do we really think Jesus is alive? Like, there are things that we're set on. There are certainly things that are black and white to us. Uh, we are not debating those things. But then there are other areas of Scripture where, where it's not quite as clear. Or, and this is true of almost every theological debate I've ever seen, uh, you can find some scripture on both sides. And so this side says we're emphasizing these few verses, and that side says, well, we like these few verses better. And it's like, all right, well, you're both pointing to the Bible, and we have to make a decision on what we believe, but we're going to do it with a lot of grace because it's not like they're just making it up out of thin air. Uh, they have a conviction based on scripture that's different than mine. I will tell them I disagree with them. I will hold to my conviction, but I'm going to do it with some grace and with some patience. And again, I want us to be a church where we can do that, where we can wrestle through these things graciously together. There's a warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. I like that last line. It's a little sassy. Paul's getting a little sassy in there. If you think you're smart, you're not actually where you're supposed to be, is, that, is what he's saying. Right? And, and we are all pursuing knowledge. We need knowledge. Again, we, we need to know and understand the word. But knowledge puffs up. There's something about when we learn a lot of information, it makes us think we're smarter than we are. It gives us a puffed up head. It puffs up our ego. Right? Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And one of the things Paul's dealing with in Corinthians is a church that is not loving each other particularly well. And everyone is claiming that they are right on this matter or right on that matter. And I have this spiritual gift and I'm better than you because of your spiritual gift. And, and he's trying to undo all of that and saying, you know what? Knowledge has a way of, of puffing us up in a way that's not good. Love seeks to build the other up. So that means even if I believe I have more knowledge than you and you need to, to catch up to where I'm at, love is my call. I have to do it in love. We're going to have that conversation in love. And so those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Uh, it's one of those things. I heard people say this for a long time. I heard preachers, you know, in their 80s say this. And when I was a younger man, I didn't really understand it. But I understand it more as I get older. They would say things like, the more I learn about Scripture and Jesus, the more I learn I don't know a lot. Like, the better I get to know him, the more I understand the word, the more I realize, like, I'm, the more I'm just in awe of how great God is. The more I'm just amazed at how beautiful and complex and intricate and nuanced his word is. The more I am, I am just blown away by who he is. And so even ironically, as I am literally growing in my knowledge and learning more and understanding the word better, I am also likewise being humbled at the same time and go, wow, I've got a lot to learn. There's so much more I need to understand. And I'm not saying that in any kind of self-deprecating way, but just that we would have this attitude of humility as we approach this. Uh, I've shared a story before of a lady that Sarah and I knew uh, in a previous church, to be very clear, not this church, uh, but in a previous church. And she was an older lady. She was a pastor's wife. Her husband had passed away. And honestly, she knew the word better, I think, than anybody I've ever met. And, and better than me, for sure, in terms of just knowing what it says and what's in there. And she would be the one to, um, like, it was nerve-wracking to preach in front of her. Because, you know, like, if I'm off on one little thing, she's going to nail me on it, and she would. And so I'd be telling the story of Jesus in the storm. And I said, you know, Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And I would come down at the end of the sermon, and she'd make a beeline towards me. And I'd go, oh, what did I say this time? And she's like, he was sleeping at the front of the boat. And I'd go back, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, she's right, she got me. 
And so she, she knew it, like she knew it. And, and like, I, you know, I'm, I love the words. I'm not great with the numbers, like the addresses of scripture. Um, and I get the numbers mixed up sometimes, but, uh, but she knew all of it. And she could not just rattle off the words of scripture, but exactly where it was and exactly where it cross-referenced the Old Testament passage that was gonna, like it was, it was she was just like an encyclopedia. Uh, so she knew her Bible and I, I admire her devotion and her, her just the, the daily commitment to scripture uh, over a lifetime that was able to bring her to that place. Um, and yet, you go, man, she was judgmental. Man, she was self-righteous. She didn't have a lot of grace for other people. She had very little patience for those who were less mature in the Lord than, than she was. And even as new believers came into the church, uh, and, you know, when, sometimes when new people come to Jesus, you know, they're rough around the edges, and they, right, they're new, and they're, they're learning, and, and the Lord is beginning his work in them. But, oh, she didn't have any compassion or grace and, and passed a lot of judgment, complained about other people, um, and, and it just, I always, I come back to her often because, again, I so admire her devotion to the word. And yet it also, again, just reminds me, hey, knowledge on its own puffs up, right? Like knowledge on its own does not make us more like Jesus. Knowledge on its own does not make us more loving. It doesn't. We can't do those things separate from knowledge of God's word. But knowledge on its own doesn't get us to that place, that there is more than just knowing what the Bible says and, and having a, a rich understanding of theology. There has to be more than that. Again, otherwise the Pharisees would be the ones we were looking to as our great example instead of the ones who missed it. And so there's a warning here for us. And the warning isn't like, hey, take in less scripture because you, know, you don't want to get a puffed up head. It's like, no, you take in the scripture. If anything, probably almost all of us could stand to take in more. But it's taking it in, again, to lead us to Jesus and to follow after him and his ways, to imitate him in his humility and, and in his service of others and how he loved in a sacrificial way. Uh, knowledge alone can puff up our head. Knowledge in the service of coming after Jesus is beautiful and helpful. Again, like the love letters from my grandparents, knowing each other better through the letters helped them love one another more. It actually drew them closer together, even from a distance. And so we don't want to just focus on, okay, how do we gain more information? But how are we engaging with God's word in a way that leads us closer and deeper with him? Last verse, verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that the Bible has what we need. And, and the Bible doesn't cover every single thing, and certainly there's things in our modern life that don't necessarily fit clearly into a, a Bible verse because they weren't dealing with the internet back then or they weren't dealing with political parties in the same way back then or the different things that we wrestle through as Christ followers. But we believe that the Word of God, in terms of the principles that it teaches, in terms of the, the revelation of God that comes, it does give us everything we need. So you might not find a crystal clear verse on how to navigate the internet as a Christ follower, but there are certainly verses in there that talk about the character qualities that we are to engage with in life and, and the types of things that we are supposed to pursue that can help us in things like that. We believe that everything that we need to know is in there. Peter would write in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And I think that's such a key. It's, it's grow in the grace and the knowledge. Grace and knowledge. 
The lady I just told you about had a lot of knowledge and not a lot of grace. And it's certainly possible to have a lot of grace and very little knowledge. And both are our mistakes. If we have lots of grace and we understand the Lord's grace and we just want to show everybody grace, but we're separating it from the knowledge of what the word says, then it's so easy to be a really great loving person who just falls off the track of truth there. Because we don't have the knowledge of God to, to balance us out. On the other side, if we have lots of knowledge and no grace, then we can be really, really smart people who just don't love people very well at all. And so it's to grow in the grace and in the knowledge. In a perfect world, those things are working together. The more knowledge of God that I get through his word, the more grace I am getting because I am filled with awe at who he is and I am called by him to love others in the same way that I have been loved. And so we need both working together. We are not seeking to grow just in grace. We are not seeking to grow just in knowledge. We are seeking to grow in both of them together. We are maturing in them. So a few practical things just as we get ready to wrap up today as we think about this 48-minute challenge of making the Lord uh, a priority there, carving out some time for him. When it comes to scripture, what does that mean? Well, number one, it's just going to mean time. Uh, It just takes time. If I'm doing it for two minutes a day and that's the only time that I'm giving, then that's not going to probably help me know him super well and understand what he wants and and who he is and what he is calling me into. It's not going to help me get full of truth so I can determine truth from lies. And so time needs to be there. And it it just, I, I don't have any secret shortcut to that for you other than you just need to make some time. Time has to be carved out for this. It's important. And, and if we can find time for our hobbies, if we can find time for media and for social media and for all these other things, then we can find time for the word. There just needs to be some time that we carve out for it. And I also said this last week, sometimes uh, as we are looking to jump into our spiritual disciplines and our, our communion, our connection time, our devotional time, whatever we want to call it, as that is happening, um, sometimes it can be a little bit like starting a new physical routine. If you say like, I'm going to start running or I want to start hitting the gym where it can be kind of tough at first. And yet as you build the habit, it does get easier. And then it gets to a point where you're actually like, oh, I really missed my run today. Right. And I really missed my time in the Bible today. And so if, it, if you're finding it a little challenging to build the habit, I'm going to encourage you just to keep pressing through because it will get easier. You will find a way to make that work. So time is going to need to, to be a part of it. There, I think, needs to be some sort of plan. And some of you get nervous when you hear the word plan because you don't like plans. You like to be more spontaneous and go with the flow. I'm not saying it has to be a carved in stone plan. Now, I know people who say when it comes to the Bible, I need a very structured plan. I need like a daily devotional that I'm walking through where I cross off. You know, it tells me what to read each day. I cross it off my list. I mean, you can get things online. I mean, there's a million resources of, you know, work through the Bible in a year and they'll tell you what chapters to read each day or work through the New Testament. Testament in a year or the Old Testament in a year or even like the meticulousness of go through the like the book of Romans in a year and um, we're just going to go really slow a few verses at a time and really dig into it uh, there's a world of things there I'm not saying you have to have it that structured I just know a lot of people have told me if I don't have that structure I, I don't do it 
And so I need that level of structure in my life. And if that's not you, you just need some sort of plan in the sense of where is it going to fit in? Like, where am I going to make this a priority? Where am I going to carve out this time? Um, at sometimes in my walk through the word in my life, I have had it very, very structured. Sometimes it's been much looser, but there's still been just, okay, well, I'm going to do it, you know, every morning before I go to work. Or I'm going to do it every evening right after dinner. Um, I'm going to have some sort of plan. Like right now, honestly, uh, my plan is, I sit down with my Bible and I'm just quiet for a moment and I just go, all right, Lord, what, what today? And I just wait for something to come to mind. So, oh, to James. All right, we'll try James. We'll spend some time in James today or Romans or Isaiah or whatever the case may be. Um, if there's not some level of structure to it, again, it's like physical exercise. You can't just say, I want to get in shape and leave it there, right? Like there has to be some level of, of a plan. Uh, here's some things I'm going to do in order to make that happen. So it doesn't have to be a structured plan. Uh, It can be very structured, but there needs to be some level of intentionality going to it. Um, I sometimes throw out, if your Bible time, if you have felt like it's gotten maybe a little stale, um, try shaking up your version of the Bible. That's just a really simple way uh, that sometimes can bring a lot of refreshing. And so sometimes if you read the same version and you're reading the same words over and over and over again, um, just switching up the version, there's just a bit of a different translation. They emphasize things a little differently. There's just a way for that to just kind of bring some new light, some new ideas, some new revelation to things. And so um, if you are wondering, you know, I sometimes get asked, what version of the Bible is the right one? Uh, And there's no possible way to answer that question because every version we have is a translation and every translation comes with certain uh, a certain philosophy. And so some translations say we want to get as accurate as we can to the literal translation of the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek of the original. Uh, and we're going to write our English as, as clear to that. So the amplified version would be a version of that. Uh, we're going to get as literal as we can. So the good thing about that is there is, it's as close to the original kind of letters as you can get it. The hard part is it doesn't always read really easily in English because no language translates perfectly into another. And so it can actually be kind of hard to understand because there'll be, you know, Hebrew idioms and Greek turns of phrase that, that we just don't have in English. And so sometimes it's a bit hard for that to make sense, but it is as literal as it can be. Uh, there's some on the other side of that called paraphrase translation. So the message would be a great example of that, where they say, you know, we're not so much concerned about literally translating the original thoughts. Uh, we're trying to translate the heart of what we think they were getting at, the, the, the big idea. And when, if we have to use some different words to get there, we'll get there, but we're trying to interpret the heart of that. So the good news about that is it's really, really easy to read. Uh, the harder thing about the paraphrase translations is there's, uh, there's a fair amount of subjectivity in, well, you know, do you really know for sure what the heart was of this, you know, thousand-year-old Hebrew scroll? Um, and so, you know, there's, there's that problem there. And then in between those two are what are called dynamic translations, and those are like the NIV, which we use here, and they're just trying to balance out those two, that, that as literal as we can while also making it readable in English. And we're going to find that kind of middle ground. And so that would be um, the English standard version, the revised version, and things like that. If you ever have a question about a version, you can come talk to me or one of the staff. Um, 
I do want to mention too, and I, I don't do this that often, but uh, there is a version out there right now called the Passion Translation, and it's become really popular in the Pentecostal charismatic world. Um, I do have concerns actually about that translation, and if you have questions about that, we can go more in depth uh, privately. But there, all that to say, not every translation is equal to other ones, and so um, if it's kind of a generally well-known, accepted one like the NIV or the English or, or whatever, um, then and by all means, just jump into that. If you have questions, you can let me know. Um, and all of that just to say, hey, sometimes the shifting of a, a version of Scripture can be refreshing. Just the, the Lord will show you things in new ways through a different way uh, to look at a verse that you might be very familiar with. Part of our Bible time as well can include some meditation. And uh, meditation, sometimes people go, because it sounds kind of New Agey, but meditation was a Bible word long before the New Age showed up. And to meditate on something I mean, it can mean very new agey things, but at its heart, to meditate on something literally just means to let your mind dwell on something. So we all meditate all the time, every single one of us. We're constantly meditating. Bill Johnson says, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. That's all that it is. You are meditating on everything that's going to go wrong or everything that is overwhelming to you. And so to meditate on Scripture is just to let your mind dwell on the Scripture and, and let the Lord unpack it and bring light and truth to it. And so the old, uh, you know, church fathers would use the picture of like, oh, it's kind of like a cow chewing its cud. Uh, and it just chews and chews and chews. And as it's chewing, it's actually extracting nutrients and it's actually getting health and life out of the food. But it just chews on it for a really, really long time. And so meditating on scripture is just doing that. And honestly, sometimes my Bible time, the other day I was reading in James and I read a verse and it was one of those moments where it's like, you know those times where you're like, I'm sure I've read that verse a hundred times, but I actually don't remember seeing it ever before. It's just like, that's how much it leapt off the page. And so, you know, for, for the half an hour that I was sitting there with my Bible, I got to that verse, and then I just kind of closed my Bible and just went, huh. And I just kind of dwelled, I just thought about it. I just, I let it roll around in my brain for, for 10, 15 minutes. It was just, it was so profound. It just struck me so, as so fascinating. And so um, I didn't go into study mode right away and I'm going to open this and that. And what is it with this for a moment? Let's meditate on this. And uh, again, we all do this kind of naturally all the time. Uh, we can actually also do this very intentionally. We're just saying, you know what? I'm going to read a chapter of scripture and then I'm just going to sit quietly and just ponder it for a few minutes as part of my engagement with the scripture so we can make room for that as well. Um, with scripture as well, uh, when it comes to engaging with the word, I, I really am less concerned with the method that you use to do it as much as I'm concerned that you do it. Because again, growing up in church, and many of you might have had similar experiences, um, you know, there was kind of an attitude of like every believer must sit with their Bible for 30 minutes every day and read it quietly by yourself. And I, I don't know what scripture they used to come to that conclusion, but I just remember even as a younger person thinking like, but for like 2,000 years of church history, most people couldn't read, right? So this can't be something that has to happen in this way because it's only been for a few hundred years that we as a society had the idea that everybody should read and everyone should go to school. We're even going to let the girls do it and go and get some education, and so if it's not something that's been true for all time, then you shouldn't die on that hill of like, that's the way it has to happen. So I think the principle that is the kingdom principle that's important is that you need to be in the word all the time because it's food for us, 
right? You don't just live on bread. You live on these words. And like bread, you need them regularly. So that's the, the deal breaker principle. The how of it, I think, is honestly, well, what is working for you in a way that brings you into a life-giving engagement with God's word? So I have a friend in the church who uh, just for years kind of was having trouble finding a way to do this and then just was encouraging him to try different techniques. And so he eventually moved over to a, just to an audio uh, approach to Scripture, that I'll listen to the Word. I'll listen to other teachers. And he's saying, oh, for the first time in my life, I'm really understanding it now. And, and so we know not everybody learns best through reading. Some of us do learn best through hearing. And for those people, how awful that we've said to them, the only way you can engage in the word is with this way that just honestly doesn't work for you. So you need to engage in the word in a way that makes sense. Not everybody is a reader. Uh, and if that's you and listening is how you take it in and you understand it and it's life-giving for you, then move to an audio Bible. One of my favorite preachers one day at a, a pastor's thing uh, shocked us all by saying, I'm dyslexic. Uh, and he knows the word backward and forward, but he said, I'm dyslexic. Like, I can't sit and read. I literally can't do it. It's just like gibberish to me. So he has an audio Bible and that's how he takes in the scripture. He listens and as he listens, he understands and unpacks. So there's lots of different ways that we can do it. And if what you're doing isn't working, then try something else. And again, look to others in your life. What are they doing? How are they engaging with the word? We can also learn the scripture, of course, through teachers. Teachers is one of the gifts that God has given to all of us. We all need teachers in our lives. We need other people to help us unpack uh, what the word says. God has gifted them in that way. And so there's a warning there, obviously, and in Scripture we are warned that there are false teachers, and typically when they say false teachers, they mean people who are corrupting the gospel. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, hey, the person who disagrees with me on this disputable matter, and I say that as someone who has been called a false teacher at various times in his career, not because I was compromising the gospel, but on this disputable matter, I was just on the other side, and it's really easy to make an enemy of people on the other side, and so uh, not all teaching out there is good, obviously, and we want to make sure uh, not just that our teachers we're listening to are biblical, because we can make the Bible say lots of different things, but to say they are teaching the Bible, they are teaching it rightly and fairly, uh, and that they are pointing to Jesus and seeking to be like Jesus and following after Jesus. If you ever have a question about a teacher or about a teaching, by all means, you can bring it to the church leadership if you want some feedback there. Come on up, worship team, as we get ready to wrap up. Last piece when it comes to the word, uh, we need other people. We need other people. And that's another thing I don't like about that whole culture of like, you know, your private personal devotional time uh, where you alone get into the Bible. Like, I think that's great. And I do a lot of that. Um, but I don't have all of the revelation and understanding of God. I need other people in my life to help me see. And sometimes someone sees something in Scripture that I don't see, or, or they bring a thought that I had never thought about. And so we need one another. And again, one of the things I have always valued about the Mennonites as I've gotten to know them is that throughout the history, it's always been about let's reason with the Word together. Let's not just say, well, that guy's the pastor, so we're going to follow everything that they say automatically. Like, what do we all discern the Lord is saying through his word? What do we all discern the truth is on this particular matter? So we need one another. And so that's where life groups and things like that become so helpful. And if you're not in a life group, you can let us know at the hub or you can talk to Susan and we'd love to get you plugged into one because one of the best things about life groups is that we open our Bibles together and we say, what does the word say? And how do we engage in this as a group? How do we mutually hear? Because if the Lord is leading me into truth by his word, by his spirit, you know, you have the same spirit 
dwelling in you. And he should be saying to you the same things. And so we, we help each other figure things out. A lot of what we see in the book of Acts is the church wrestling through some theology, wrestling through some disputable matters. And even as that's happening, we see in Romans 14, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Rome about disputable matters. He says, some of you feel this way about the matter. Some of you feel that way. And it's so fascinating to me because Paul says, for those of you who feel this way on the matter, just to be clear, you're right. You are correct in what the Lord wants. But it's not judge the other ones. It's not look down on them. It's, it's hey, they're, they're not where you're at yet. They haven't had that revelation yet. And so have some grace and mercy to meet them where they're at. Don't give up your conviction, but, but just in love. You don't get to throw away your commitment to love one another just because you're in disagreement about something. So we need one another as we wrestle through this stuff. So the question today for us to think about is, Lord, where and how shall I engage with your word? What is that going to look like in my life right now? And some of you right now are saying, I have a really great life-giving connection time with God in my Bible time. And if that's you, I say, great. So maybe there's nothing for you to work on. For others of you, maybe there's a step that needs to take. There's a, a movement you need to move forward. So stand with me, please. And as we get ready to close, just close your eyes for a moment. And we're just going to ask the Lord just to, to speak to us in this moment, wherever we're at. So close your eyes with me. And we say, Lord, where and how shall I engage with your word in my life? Shall I keep doing what I'm doing? Is there a new step you would like me to take? Is there a way you would like me to shake things up? Lord, where and how shall I engage with your word? Holy Spirit, just bring a thought to mind, bring an idea, lay something on our hearts in this moment. as we seek your word, as we open our Bible, as we discuss it with others, as we search for truth, Lord, as we search ultimately for you. I pray, Lord, that it would not just be an intellectual exercise on its own. It would not just be a, a thing we cross off our checklist. It would not just be about growing in knowledge by itself, Lord, even if it is those things, that ultimately, Lord, scripture would be the place where we meet you, that we would encounter you that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that this would be a meeting place, Lord, not just a religious duty, but a place of encounter with the living God who is speaking to us through his living word. And I pray, Lord, you will show us the how, you will help each of us to carve out that place, and that you will draw us closer to you as we do it. You will make us more like you as we do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship as we close. If you're watching with us at home, crank up the volume. Join with us as we worship Him.